So how do we want to start this? We could talk about the fact uh, that you got three games back on me, so you're only two down now this season because all three breaks went your way. Been bitching and moaning on the show. Oh, Frank's always getting the breaks. Well, you got the breaks this week in all those one-possession games, That's actually, right. that we uh, differed on, which is fitting, by the way. Uh, that yeah. We're differing on one-possession games. Uh, three points, three points, seven points. Was that how it worked out or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I mean, uh, when we're differing, it looks like it's going to be a good game uh, in general. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're, we're at least looking correct in that respect. Uh, but I think we need to pay a little honor to uh, who you roasted last Friday. Uh, one Peyton about? Lyon. We're going to show highlights of his game later on in the show, so we won't bore you with all that right now in the cold open. But uh, there's a tweet from him uh, about how much he loves football after his 50-yard or thereabouts pass wins the game for St. Norbert against Wisconsin Lutheran on Saturday. I, I, I yeah. couldn't be happier for him. After what we put yeah. him through and everything else, on the wow. Spud Bowl BS, <laughs> the fact that this guy comes out there, they lose the lead. They had like a 12-point lead uh, to St. Norbert. They're down by a point, and he gets that ball into the end zone for the touchdown with about 13 seconds left. Incredible job by him. Again, stay tuned for Crunch Time Highlights. We'll show it there. But, JB, anything you'd like to say to Peyton after, you know, you kind of put him through all this? I was just pointing out what the broadcast said, and I called him a gamer last week for the fact that he was, no matter how he was feeling, he hung in that game. He got sacked seven times in the Spud Bowl. I mean, he just kept picking himself off off the floor. I'm really happy for him and St. Norbert that they got this win this last weekend. And as we'll talk about coming up, it wasn't very uh, common for the home team to win this weekend, so good for them. And two and one on the season, they've they've got a long way to go here. And I think having a guy like Peyton is going to help them. Interesting point because I've done five games in person, and this is the first time in my highlight uh, file name. I usually will do versus if it's a home win, at if it's uh, on the road. This is the first time. Catholic beating Mooresville, I had to use at because uh, one out of five games now, the away team has won a game I have attended. So something to that this season. The home team seems to have been doing really well until this week. And I'm not sure what that all means, but we'll uh, keep that in our back of our minds as we go here for week three, crunch time on season 16 of In the Huddle. So uh, first off, I I should give props here. I've got to go do a special delivery to Saratoga Springs in a little while of a uh, Balsa Spa football jersey for Mayor Ron Kim, as we discussed on Friday. He's got to wear it. Yep, he's got to wear it on Tuesday. But uh, I've got the Balston football shirt on. Thanks to Coach Jason Onsman for this. Uh, Make sure it kind of pops out there. And uh, they will be playing, I believe, at Shenandoah on Friday evening, which is never easy locally. Shenandoah, uh, Class AA matchup uh, that they gained. The funny story is in our setup here in New York, Class AA is also based on school size. And I think Balsa Spa moved up to Class AA from Class B by two students this year. Uh, so, or last year, technically. Yep. So, two students <laughs> in enrollment put them into basically the gauntlet of high school football here in uh, Section 2 in upstate New York. So um, it's it's going to be a task for them, but you know what? They beat Saratoga. They're one and zero. We'll see how it goes on Friday night. Hey. Now back to college football, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we got a good flavor for the fact still that everything underneath North Central and Mount Union, who did not put up let's say mega points against who was it, Miss Kingham or uh, was it Marietta or Miss Kingham? I, I keep forgetting today. Mountain, Mountain Union put up 28 to uh, Marietta, and uh, Thank you, Braxton Marietta. Plunk and Wayne Ruby set some 
you know, school records as far as completions, I think receiving yards and touchdowns. So even though they didn't blow them out, I mean, North Central, I think they beat Carthage 70 to nothing. So that was the most lopsided victory they've had in that 68 or so year series. They still looked like the two top teams in the, in the division. We'll have to see how it shakes out just, you know, three on down. But everything below that honestly seems to be a mishmash of I don't know what at this point. I, and I, I did the syllogism yesterday because our friends at uh, the third division uh, wanted to know or to have a video apparently, what's wrong with Mary Harden Baylor? And my response was, well, not much because Mary Harden Baylor almost beat Wisconsin Whitewater, who beat St. John's by 28, who beat Trinity in overtime, who beat Mary Harden Baylor. And so the law of syllogisms say that when you kind of link all this together, they're a young team playing a great schedule. What's wrong with Mary Harden yeah. Baylor? I, I know about 200 coaches, if not more, out in this country that would say, I'll take that problem any day of the week, ultimately, if that's a yeah. problem suddenly. So let's keep it in perspective, folks. We have to realize every so often teams will fall off. See Whitewater in 2012 for more information. This team's going to start winning games. Probably their next game is OW. Uh, and every game up to maybe Harden-Simmons and then Howard Payne will probably be Ws. Interestingly, this season, Mary Harden-Baylor will be playing at Harden-Simmons again because of the kind of problematic situation going on with the ASC schedule. So two years in mm -hmm. a row in Abilene this uh, go-around is going to be what the situation is for that game. And so Harden-Simmons wow. will homestand for the game they're supposed to win according to everything going on right now. We'll see where it goes. But, yeah. <laughs> but before we go further down that line, week three, 30,000-foot view. We talked about the top two. What about the rest? What did you see there for this week? Well, I mean, the rest, when you look at, like, the top ten um, in the nation, they all won by pretty comfortable measures. There were a few others in the top 25 that had you know, some lopsided victories, a few close calls here and there. But for the most part, like I said, when I was looking back on week three, I was noticing – that it was like a road warrior weekend. I mean, you'll see when we go through all the different um, scores on crunch time, a lot of road teams got victories this weekend and in, in some ways very dramatic fashion. Um, so it was, a good, it was a good weekend to be a road dog of some kind, a road warrior, however you want to call it. And um, you know, it sets up an interesting but sort of a quieter week four. There's, it's a little bit of a kind of a calm before the eventual conference play storm. And, you know, going back to what you were saying with UMHB, if they finish the season seven and three, they're going to the playoffs. Remember, that is the, that's how you punch your ticket in Division Three. If you win your conference, you get in, and there will be 28 of those Pool A or automatic qualifiers. And even though they're 0-3 and they're out of conference, the Crusaders are 0-0 in the ASC, and all they have to do is win seven conference games, and they're in, and I guarantee you, nobody probably wants to see that Crusaders team come November. You never know what will happen. It'll be an interesting ride. They could go 6-4 and four, technically and get in. If uh, you have Harden-Simmons in Howard Payne and Mary Harden-Baylor or somebody else uh, in a, a triumvirate of yeah. teams with that round, uh, you know, merry-go-round loss scenario, and they could sneak in that way too. But 7-3 and three would assure them a playoff berth because it would be an ASC yep. championship guaranteed in that situation. But again, stop writing the epitaphs because you're going to be sorry for doing so if you do it now. <laughs> You won't yeah. be sorry if you continue to tune in here because right now it's time for crunch time for week number three of the 2023 Division Three college football season. Plenty of highlights to go here. We'll start with Rochester at Salve Regina. Second quarter, 6.23 left. It's Rochester's Will Varney with his eight-yard touchdown run to give Rochester a 7-3 lead. Then four minutes later, Salve Regina's Marcelino LaBella gets a 14-yard pass from Jake Stack for the touchdown. That gives Salve Regina back the lead, 10-7. Rochester would add a 37-yard field goal with no time left in the first half to tie the game. Then we're going to go into a 16-play drive deep into the fourth quarter for Salve Regina, but this 25-yard field goal attempt 
is no good wide left. So with 116 left, Rochester got the ball. And you're going to see here first a third and 10 play. Ryan Rose uh, complete to Aiden uh, Pepintoni for 25 yards here to the Salve 22. And then with 21 seconds left, Trey Johnson gets a 22-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Rose to win this game 17-10. They win it because Jake Stack is intercepted by Jack Yensel at the Rochester 30-yard line, and that would do it. The final score, again, is 17-10 Rochester. Again, we talked about that 16-play drive that uh, ended up with no points for Salve toward the end. Uh, and Ryan Rose with the game-winning touchdown pass with 21 seconds left. Those are your major highlights in that game, which uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about later. Also in Region 1, we have Stevenson at FDU Florham as the MAC starts their uh, conference games at this point. Second quarter, two minutes into it, Ryan Thompson with a two-yard touchdown run makes it a 14-7 score in favor of FDU Florham. But the next play from offense is this 60-yard run by Lewis Klauser to tie the game up for Stevenson, 14 apiece. Stevenson would add a 25-yard field goal 10 minutes into the third quarter, but then fourth quarter, 9.43 left, Planeer Edwards gets a one-yard run for a 21-17 lead for FDU Florham. Fourth quarter still, 4.37 left, Pat Gorman from Stevenson, a 20-yard pass from Nair Wilson, gives them back the lead. This was a great one, folks, 24-21. We'll go to later on in this fourth quarter, third to four, and Ryan Thompson is intercepted by Anthony Lembo, and that would do it. Stevenson would just eke out a victory in this one, 24-21. And Lewis Klauser, 18 rushes, 160 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Ryan Thomas, 21 for 26, 335 yards, one passing touchdown and an interception. And apologies if I called him Thompson or anything like that. Ryan Thomas is, uh, we got to get this uh, right here, uh, ultimately uh, in the losing effort. He still had a great day for FDU Florham. We'll uh, come back out here for a second here. Colby versus Williams. Uh, we can't get highlights. We're working with NSN who is the provider uh, for uh, the broadcast streaming for these uh, NESCAT games, or several of them. And we're working with them to try to get rights from here on out because uh, they're behind a paywall, as a lot of you know. Uh, Williams wins the game 25-22. Owen McHugh, 215 total yards for Williams, two passing, one rushing touchdown. And Matt McHugh, eight receptions for 160 yards for Colby with one receiving touchdown. A little disappointing we can't get Not those related. NESCAC highlights there. But uh, go ahead, I'll give you a chance here. Well, I was just gonna say that I, I thought it was interesting that Williams had a guy named McHugh and so did Goldie, uh, but double checking, they're both from Massachusetts, but different hometowns, not related, maybe they're cousins or something, but I thought that was kind of funny. Well, let's uh, go through the rest of region one. Yeah, so as we said, you know, a lot of road teams um, getting some wins. I mean, obviously, Westcon taking care of business at home, 42-0 on Friday night. Wesleyan, um, who we were kind of kidding around, is Wisconsin from our little um, Friday uh, cold open, takes care of Bates, 28-17. RPI wins the Transit Trophy, 25-0. DelVal, no trouble with, with Eastern, kind of the same thing with UMass, Dartmouth, Endicott, um, all winning their games comfortably. Worcester State wins. Uh, New University of New England, Frank, very quietly 3-0, undefeated starting off for the Nor'easters. They have a, a pretty big game this weekend, though. It'll be interesting to see how they fare. Coast Guard is still putting up a lot of points. They outlast Nichols. Um, Husson, Bowden, Buff State actually gets a win on the road uh, against Dean in pretty convincing fashion. The Cadets win sort of the battle of the uh, Northern New England or the Leaf Peeper Bowl between <laughs> Uh, them and, and Castleton. Widener looking very strong with 57 points over Alvernia. Sort of a surprise here, Frank. Curry wins 20 to 16. They caused three turnovers and their, um, their running back ran for over 200 yards, uh, winning some CCC um, Player of the Week uh, recognition. So looking, looking good for the Colonels there. Lebval, Bidgewater State, Western New England, Kings who has a huge game, one of the best games actually in week four coming up, we'll talk about that later. Trinity, Middlebury, and Anna Maria were the other winners in region one. That's Coach Parsons uh, over Curry. Uh, ever since leaving yeah. Endicott, it's been a little tough go for him, but uh, that was a big Purple win rain. for him, and uh, congratulations to him for that. 
Let's go to Region 2. We got plenty to cover in Region 2, so let's go here. Springfield a Union. We're going to go midway through the second quarter. Michael Fiore gets a five-yard touchdown run for Union to make it 7-0 Union. Then we're going to take a look at this Jacob Sylvester pass that's intercepted by Nathan Sullivan and return 19 yards to the Springfield 30-yard line. It's set up this Donovan Picatti two-yard touchdown run with 3.46 left second quarter. It's 14-0 Union before halftime. Union's Tommy Leonard gets a 21-yard touchdown pass from Picatti to make it 21-0 Union. It was all Union, 34-7 in a game that should have been close. It wasn't in favor of the Garnet Chargers, Dutchman, or what have you at this point. The defense allowed zero touchdowns so far in this season. That's 12 quarters, folks. And the offense outgained Springfield 445 yards to 150. Donovan and Piccati, 200, uh, 290 total yards in a passing and rushing touchdown in the game. Then the game heard round Region 2. It was Susquehanna at Cortland. We'll start here in the first quarter, 823 left. J.J. Lapp. 80-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys. Uh, we thought about uh, dusting off the lap, uh, what was it, the lap counter or uh, whatever it was back uh, last year. Well, unfortunately, lap you'll tracker. see why we didn't. Lap tracker, very good. Uh, but second quarter, 4.56 left, it's deja vu, but 89 yards this time between Boys and Lap for a touchdown, 21 to 14 in favor of Portland. Notice that score is still close here uh, as we are midway through the game. Third quarter, 13.35 left. Cole Burgess, a 58-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boyes. He had a couple of touchdowns in this game. Did Burgess, 28-14 Portland. We'll hear here from Susquehanna as Josh Ehrlich, who I haven't given much credit to this season. He has a heady 14-yard touchdown run here to make it 28-21. But Burgess again, there he is. 33-yard touchdown pass from Boyes. 35-21, Cortland with 3.27 left in the third quarter. This game's over, right folks? Well, you know better. Uh, fourth quarter, 4.09, Rowan Hershey, 12-yard touchdown pass from the aforementioned Josh Ehrlich. Makes it a 35-28 score. Then a punt and they get the ball back to Susquehanna. 139 left, Kyle Howes, a 15-yard touchdown pass from Josh Ehrlich ties the game. What better way to continue momentum than this, which is a kickoff return that's fumbled by Rashad Tucker, and it is recovered by Dominic Wynn of Susquehanna. That puts them automatically in field goal range, and here's the kick. Ball's down, kicks up, it is good. And the ball game is over, and Susquehanna comes from 14 points down to beat Portland 38-35. They trail by 14 points with 5.22 left. Josh Ehrlich, 389 total yards, three passing, one rushing touchdown. J.J. Lapp, though, 250 receiving yards, plus those two touchdowns. Then we have Bethany Atiel, a team we don't really talk much about both these teams, actually. I think we've done Teal one time on that road win they had, uh, which broke their long streak. Second quarter, 4.42 left. Teal's Chase Lawler gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Joseph Fell to give Teal an 8-7 lead. 28 seconds left in the first half. Blake Joseph gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from that Joseph Fell character. It's 15-7 now in favor of Teal at halftime. Five minutes into the third quarter. Hey, Joseph Fell, have a day. He gets a two-yard touchdown run to make it 22-7 in favor of Teal. But then as they try to break a seven-year winless streak at home, you begin to wonder what's going to happen here. On third and eight, Fell is sacked and fumbles the ball at the one-yard line. Teal collects the ball there, and they'll get that touchdown one play later to make it 22-14. Still Teal's lead, but Charlie Mills gets that touchdown for Bethany. We'll go forward, though, because the uh, defense for Teal steps up here at a good time. Third and five at the Bethany 26, and it's an interception by Raymond Jackson against Kaver Sam. And that protects that tenuous eight-point lead. Two and a half minutes left in the game. 11th play of the drive here on 4th and 11. It's Kara Sam passing complete to Charlie Mills, but only for seven yards. So it's a turnover on downs. And then it's basically Teal's job to try to run out the clock. Here's a 1st and 10 play. Donnie Pattison gets 10 yards on the dot. That's enough for a first down. And here's what the emotion was at Teal. Under center. And ladies and gentlemen, G Vegas will be partying tonight, 22 to 14. Tomcats take it over the Bethany Bison and snap 
the home losing streak. Indeed, Teal wins 22 to 14, their first home win since 2016. Joseph Fell, 111 total yards, two passing, one rushing touchdown, and Charlie Mills, two rushing touchdowns for Bethany in that game. Congratulations, Teal, and uh, we'll see where this goes from here. And let's move on here to Catholic at Morrisville State, a game I attended. 3.09 left first quarter, it's Quamel Jarvis with a 41-yard pass from Stephen Freerich to make it a 7-7 game at that point. Then we'll go to the second quarter, six minutes into it, Preston Jeffrey, get used to that name, getting an 18-yard touchdown pass from Madden Lowe to give Catholic the 14-7 lead. Just before halftime, Morrisville equalizes, again with Quamel Jarvis getting a 15-yard touchdown pass from Stephen Freerich to tie it 14 apiece. Fourth quarter will skip two, and Morrisville State's free, uh, Stephen Freerich gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 20-17 to in favor of Morrisville. We'll go 10 minutes here. Uh, it was a 16-play drive, ultimately, that, did it, uh, that took seven minutes. Preston Jeffrey gets his third touchdown of the game. From Madden Low, that is, a 17-yard touchdown pass, 24-20 in favor of Catholic. They're trying to protect the lead. Morrisville gets well past midfield. But Aiden Long says, give me that ball and give me six. He gets the pick six, does Aiden Long. And Catholic wins his game 31-20. Madden Low, 259 total yards, three passing touchdowns, and an interception. Stephen Freerich, 197 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. Then let's go to um, a very interesting game, the way it played out, honestly. It's Franklin and Marshall at Montclair State. Five minutes into the second quarter, Gary Lewis from FNM. It's a 15-yard touchdown pass from Ty Tremba. It's 17-0, Franklin and Marshall at this point. Montclair will be heard from, though, in the first half. 317 left. Clarence Wilkins gets a 68-yard touchdown pass from Andrew Sanborn to make it 17-6 in favor of FNM. Then, 39 seconds left second quarter, it's Sanborn calling his own number for a 16-yard touchdown run, 17-12. FNM led at halftime. We'll skip to the fourth quarter, Montclair State's Andrew Sanborn with a four-yard touchdown run, and that makes uh, things very interesting here as Montclair gets the lead at this point, 25-17. So they take the lead. FNM with 28 seconds left, though, is able to equalize back as Gary Lewis gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Ty Trumba, and the Ty Trumba two-point conversion attempt is good. 25-25, we're going to overtime. In the first part of overtime, Andrew Sanborn is intercepted here by Matt Scully in the end zone. And it's a, a, you know, a chance here for FNM just needing a field goal. Well, they get more than that as Dante Wilson gets a two-yard touchdown run to win the game for Franklin and Marshall, 31-25 in overtime. Ty Tremba, 25 for 44, 285 yards, two passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Avalani Mendez from Montclair, 20 rushes, 154 yards, and one rushing touchdown. And then, you want overtime? We got more overtime for you here as Grove City faces Case Western Reserve. 7-7 seven seven at halftime was the score, so we'll go to the third quarter. 7.37 left, Grove City's Clayton Parrish with a one-yard touchdown run. Makes it 14-7 Grove City, but then Case Western gets on a roll. Four minutes later, Shawn Michael James, a three-yard touchdown pass from Alex Fromberg, makes it 14 apiece. Case takes the lead in the fourth quarter, six minutes into it, as Michael Wojkowski gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Alex Fromberg. 21-14, Case Western Reserve leads. Grove City, they do what they do. Three and a half minutes later, Nico Flatty with a seven-yard touchdown run ties the game. So they bounce back after losing the lead, does Grove City 21 apiece. Will go to overtime at this point. And Gabriel Petrazzi gets a 37-yard field goal for Case to give them a 24-21 lead, putting the pressure on Grove City. Well, Logan Pfeiffer says no pressure at all as he finds Scott Frazier for an 8-yard touchdown pass and a 27-24 win for Grove City in overtime. Nico Flotti, 33 rushes, 128 yards, one rushing touchdown. Alex Fromberg, 229 total yards for Case, two passing touchdowns in the losing effort. That was a great game, a great evening game for us to watch as we had another yeah. full day of football across the country, even in regions two and others that you wouldn't expect it in the central time zone as well. But uh, thanks to them for such an entertaining game that went Grove City's way. How about the rest of region two? 
Well, like I said, Frank, it was a, it was definitely a, a good weekend to be the road team. I believe the home 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 winners were there was only nine out of the 21 games in this region. But as you can see, there was a lot of excitement going on. There was almost too many games to keep track of here. Um, but going with some of the other scores, it was funny. Hopkins seemed to only have a 13 to seven lead over Salisbury for a while, but then they pulled away. Um, winning big 42 to 7. Carnegie Mellon take care of business in 41-10. Alfred loses to Ithaca 22-0 at home. Muhlenberg, Brockport, Fisher, Utica. The Utica game was interesting, Frank. They were actually, um, and, and if there were so many of these overtime and all these other crazy games going on, they probably would have made the, that initial cut for the highlight reel. They had to convert a fourth and 16. It was really um, a great call by Coach Fagiano there. They get the touchdown and are able to hang on to get a, a win. One of the things that's been interesting in Region 2, Frank, with the addition of the landmark is that all the schedules have been has been sort of thrown up in the air, and we were getting these really interesting matchups that we haven't seen in a long time, like uh, Juniata and, and Hartwick. Or am I saying that right or wrong? Juniata, I think that's right. I don't know. There was some talk about that earlier this week. Uh, um, Washington Jeff wins big. Dickinson gets a win over Kane. McDaniel William Patterson. That is a Region 2 game, folks. Just just so you know, um, Gettysburg loses 17 to 49 to Christopher Newport. And then in our late game, which started at six o'clock, your sinus looking very strong in the Centennial wins 44 to 21 at Rowan. Keeping that winning streak alive, no less, is your sinus. I believe that's nine in a row now for them, which is yeah. one of the longest in D3 Nation right now. Let's go to Region 3, Trinity at Birmingham Southern. Another game that was supposed to be kind of the uh, game of the week type of thing. Well, here we go. And Trinity kind of starts off the offense here. We'll, we'll take you here to a Tucker Horn pass uh, complete that is uh, to Ryan Merrifield for 32 yards. Uh, gets it to the BSC 23-yard line. It led to this Justin Carmouche one-yard touchdown run to make it a 7-0 game in the first quarter, four minutes left. And then, uh, again, let, let's look at Tucker Horn engineering the drive here as he passes complete to Merrifield at a 24-yard pass to the 25-yard line, and that led to him passing complete for a one-yard touchdown pass to Matthew Kovacevic to make it 14-0 in favor of Trinity. On the next play, uh, you'll see the defense step up here as Kendall Johnson rushes for 16 yards but fumbles the ball, and Drayden Ashford uh, knocked it loose. Ryan Arnold gets that fumble recovery for Trinity. And so right away, they go back to work as it leads to Another touchdown, this time Legend Grigsby rushed for four yards to give it uh, give them a 21-0 lead. We're still in the first half, folks, 139 left. And then Tyler, I want to say Hytel uh, is the pronunciation. Good from 50 yards on a field goal here. Huge field goal as time expires in the first half. Trinity up 24-0 there. We're going to just tell you, Trinity wins this game 38-3. Tucker Horn, very efficient, 25 for 32, 294 yards in a passing touchdown. Legend Grigsby, eight rushes, 51 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Let's go to center at Rhodes. And uh, hey, you want more overtime? I got plenty of it for you on this one, folks. 113 left, first quarter. Scotty Brown gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Jack Bowman. It's 7-0 center. Later in the third quarter, it'll be 10-3 center. Five minutes left in that quarter. It's Blitter uh, getting a 36-yard touchdown pass from Jack Gilman, excuse me, to make it 17-3 in favor of center. Rhodes will be heard from here. Four minutes later, it's Knox Tejot with a uh, one-yard touchdown run and a 17-10 score in favor of center. And then he does it again 10 minutes into the fourth quarter. Knox Tejot with a 16-yard touchdown run, 17-17. We would go to overtime. In the first overtime, Miles Kruger hits a 40-yard field goal, puts the pressure here on center. So Cam Teggy gets his own 43-yard field goal. We go to a second overtime, folks. In that second overtime, Travis Moffer, a 26-yard touchdown pass from Jack Bowman, 26-20, but they missed the two-point conversion. You're forced to go for two now in the second overtime. Brent Barlow for Rhodes, he gets a 10-yard touchdown pass from Evan Reeder, 26-26, but Evan Reeder's rush attempt fails for two. So we go to a third overtime. It's a battle of two-point conversions now. Rhodes goes first, Evan Reeder's pass attempt, it's no good. And so it's up to center now. Jack Goman finds Joey Deschler 
for the win on the two-point conversion in triple overtime. Center wins 28-26. Goman, 285 total yards, three passing touchdowns. Tejot Knox, 15 rushes, 59 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Apologies if I messed up your name badly in this set. Then we go to Whitewater at UMHB, a game that was well delayed by Lightning. And once they started, it was a great game. Five minutes into the first quarter, Tamir Thomas, a two-yard touchdown run, gives Whitewater a 7-0 lead. Second quarter, minute into it, though, Isaac Fay, the quarterback for UMHB, with his own one-yard touchdown run, capping an 11-play drive, ties the game seven apiece. 6.55 left second quarter, Tamir Thomas. Boy, he's just a, a great player for them this season. What, six touchdowns in two weeks for him with his four-yard touchdown run, 14-7 Whitewater leads. Third quarter, five minutes into a TJ Roan, a 33-yard touchdown pass from Isaac Fay. The crew equalized here, 14 apiece. So, Whitewater goes to an old standard, Jeffrey Isatala McGuire with a 46-yard field goal attempt and the lead, 17-14 with four minutes left in the third quarter. We'll go into the fourth quarter and there were two opportunities here for UMHB to tie or win this game. First on a fourth and one play, Isaac Fay gets five yards. They don't save forward progress, stopped and they call a fumble, recovered by Wisconsin Whitewater with 4.48 left. With 2.26 left, Whitewater is forced to punt near midfield. So on third and five, it's a, a chance here. Isaac Fay though intercepted by Thomas Wojnowski to end the game in favor of Whitewater. They win 17-14. Tamir Thomas, 23 rushes, 111 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Isaac Fay, 209 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. More on this game later on after crunch time. But first, in crunch time, JB's got a little bit more to tell you about Region 3. Yeah, I mean, other than some of the ranked teams, I mean, for the most part, it was a good uh, region for home cooking here. <laughs> we saw a lot of the home teams win uh, in Region 3, um, starting with, with Ferrum. Although, then again, we had, you know, Randolph-Macon winning big over Southern Virginia. Maryville beat Shenandoah 27-20. And then Hamden-Sydney won big 58-28 over Greensboro. But then you see Wash Lee, um, Sol Ross State, Bridgewater, and hey, let's give a shout out to Sewanee, the University of the South, who broke a five-year, I think, 23-game um, conference losing streak. They, they get a, a win in the SAA, and they beat Millsaps for the first time in 18 years, 27-21. Congratulations to those Tigers. I know that they were thrilled about that. Huntington wins big. Howard Payne drops 85 points on uh, newcomer Lion. Man, don't sleep on Howard Payne. I know, Frank, you've been talking about them all season. That's a that's a lot of points. Uh, Hendricks, 51-38, and then um, Brevard doesn't quite get over Abbott, who's now 3-0, three and, three and oh, Frank. They're undefeated, so one of the best starts in, in that program's history. And then uh, Texas Lutheran took on a NAIA team and uh, came up a little short, but that was Region 3. You, you got it down now. NAIA. You, it rolls off the throat, doesn't it, at this point? <laughs> it took me it took me a few seasons but i'm getting there <laughs> yeah we're here for you man we are here for you jb let's go to a few games in regions four through six uh which really didn't have as many highlight games as uh in the past but that's going to be changing soon for sure first john carroll at baldwin wallace for the oac and 807 left first quarter baldwin wallace's george Lindberger gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it seven to zero baldwin wallace John Carroll, though, would take over from there. Seven seconds into the second quarter, Joe Turok, a 28-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins. Seven apiece. We'll go to the second half. Six minutes into it, Brennan Fugue, 16 yards from Joe Collins. It's 17-7 in favor of John Carroll. And then Matthew Busser gets a nine-yard touchdown run with 152 left in the third quarter to make it 23-7 John Carroll. Final score, John Carroll, 30, Baldwin Wallace, 7. Collins, 22 for 33, 302 yards, two passing touchdowns, and it's Jeff Behrman's first head coaching win for John Carroll, 11th Cayuga Bowl, uh, Gold, Cayuga Gold Bowl trophy win in a row, which is hard to believe that Bowen Wallace hasn't gotten them uh, in 11 years, or 11 tries at least, for the Cayuga Gold Bowl trophy. 
Let's go to Linfield at Redlands here next. And uh, this was uh, kind of uh, the uh, Skyak after dark, uh, Northwest Conference after dark affair. 5-0-1 left first quarter. Aaron Martinez, a one-yard touchdown run for Linfield. Going the way you would expect, 7-0 Linfield. But that's kind of how things began to slow down in this game. Because finally, second quarter, right before halftime, it's Gavin Dalziel with a 51-yard field goal. My goodness. 10-3 Linfield leads. Third quarter, and uh, Linfield does add a touchdown here, but again, not as big of a score as you might expect. Devin Murray, a one-yard touchdown pass from Blake Eaton, and it's 17-3 in favor of Linfield. So we'll go to the fourth quarter here. First off, Tyler Tremaine is intercepted by Colby Kalakua. Uh, so Linfield's defense steps up, but still Redlands with 116 left gets a Tyler Tremaine 15-yard touchdown run. 17-10, Linfield leads. You'll see here the onside kick attempt, but it just didn't go 10 yards. It went 9 yards, and therefore Linfield got the ball and would run out the clock on Redlands. Close, nippy game here, 17-10, Linfield. Blake Eaton, 22 for 30, 192 yards, one passing touchdown. Tyler Tremaine, 173 total yards, one rushing touchdown, and two interceptions. And then the game we uh, kind of teased in the cold open. Wisconsin Lutheran at St. Norbert. Halftime score is 12-7 St. Norbert. Third quarter, 5.48 left. Delton Zeleger gets a 9-yard touchdown run. 18-7 St. Norbert leads. Third quarter, 4 minutes later, Mike Dupree, 8-yard touchdown run. And the 2-point conversion fails, so it's 18-13 still St. Norbert's lead. Fourth quarter, 13.50 left. And Owen Kudick. It's a 56-yard touchdown pass from Peyton Lyon. Nice form there, 25-13. St. Norbert with that 12-point lead. But 9.37 left. It's Emmett Hawkins, a 12-yard touchdown pass from Bryce uh, Barbian. 25-20, St. Norbert's lead. Hey, they bounce back, though. Owen Kudick, a one-yard touchdown run he gets for St. Norbert. 31-20, now an 11-point lead as the kick was blocked there. Fourth quarter, 52 seconds left, and uh, Travion Green, a seven-yard pass from Bryce Barbian, two-point conversion pass, no good, 31-26 St. Norbert. And so Wisconsin Lutheran tries the onside kick, and they get it. My goodness, 43 seconds left. One play later, Emmett Hawkins from Bryce Barbian, a 38-yard touchdown pass, Gives Wisconsin Lutheran the lead as the two-point pass fails, 32-31. 30 seconds left. Peyton Lyon. Snap back to Lyon. He's got protection. He's going deep for Berganis. He caught it! Touchdown! Green Knights! My goodness! Lyon aired it out! My goodness! Berganis hauled it in! The Green Knights have the lead! With 13 seconds on the game clock, he went up and got it. Lyon threw him a perfect ball, and the Green Knights have the lead. Paul Bianagis, a 47-yard touchdown pass, and that is going to give them the win because ultimately you'll see in the next play after the 37-32 lead that Bryce Barbian is complete to Emmett Hawkins, but it's fumbled, and it is St. Norbert's ball. It is St. Norbert's win. 37-32. What a game. And Peyton, hats off to you, buddy, because that was just incredible what you came back from right there. And in that game, we'll tell you that uh, Peyton Line had 15 for 25, 251 yards, three passing touchdowns. Bryce Barbian, 34 for 52, 380 yards, four passing wow. touchdowns on the day. JB, what an effort there. I love these games, kind of the hidden video type game situations where we might not think this is going to be a game we're going to be presenting to you, but again, Wisconsin Lutheran's uh, famous for these, uh, if you remember back when, against Concordia, Wisconsin <laughs> yeah. during uh, the COVID spring. But uh, you get to see St. Norbert here again, just bounce back in the right way in that game. What else have we got in four through six? Well, we got a lot of points. Um, you know, the obvious favorites like North Central, Mount Union, Wartburg, River Falls, Wheaton, La Crosse, Aurora, even Bethel. They all won big. Alma won big. Um, you know, so 
no surprises really there. Uh, you know, one game that sort of jumped out to me, Frank, was was Hope kind of coming back late to win 40 to 35 over Mount St. Joseph. That's a, a little bit of an upset, I guess you could say. Um, we also saw Trine take down Franklin 58 to 43 after they came up a little short last week. I'm sure that was a good win for the Thunder. Um, Nebraska Wesleyan quietly 3 and 0. They're going to have a big game with Coe um, a little later on. We'll get to that game on the next slide. But um, Concordia, Wisconsin, that last Lakeland, 31 to 28. Elsewhere, you know, we, we had picked this game, uh, Co versus Central, and it's the Cohawks who come away with the win, 19 to 11, in a, a back and forth affair. Illinois College rebounds with a big win over Ripon. Uh, Eureka wins 35-28. Elsewhere in um, Region 4 through 6, I'd say that you know. Platteville coming up a little short against Michigan Tech was interesting, even though I mean, technically they're a D2 school. How that counts in the grand scheme of things, hard to say. Wash U wins big, as does Lake Forest. I love the tweet, uh, Frank, I don't know if you saw from Coach Cat, where he hightailed it straight from his game to go catch his son's uh, MVP performance later that Saturday. So that was a big, big day for the Cat and Zero family. Uh, Adrian outlasts Bluffton 23-13. Chicago wins big, as does Carlton. They're having a, a good season so far in, out in Minnesota. we got to keep an eye on those guys. Pack Lutheran wins the uh, Lutheran Bowl, I guess you could say. George Fox uh, comes up a little short against Claremont Mud Scripps. Laverne clips Puget's, Puget Sound. Montana Western is a um, NAIA school which takes care of Lewis and Clark. We saw that um, Butler, the Pioneer League uh, non-scholarship FCS school, won against Wabash, but yeah, you have to give the little Giants credit for scheduling that and fighting through. Heidelberg wins big, as does Wittenberg, Ohio Wesleyan. Willamette comes up short against another NAIA school uh, in Southern Oregon. Whitworth manages to clip Chapman. That was a, one of those games that Frank and I you know, picked that we could have gone either way. And um, lucky for me, the, uh, the Pirates came up with the win. It's funny though, um, just down the road, Pomona Pitzer, same score, but just flipped 24-17 winners over Pacific. And then in the late, late game, because of multiple uh, weather and lightning delays, Augustana 74-06 over Elmhurst. They're a team in the CCIW, Frank, that I think it could be interesting to keep an eye on. We'll see. And our friend Matt Nickel uh, powered through a broadcast with uh, everything going wrong mm -hmm. with him in that yeah. game. He uh, got <laughs> it off the ground, and congratulations to him in that 74-7 to uh, drubbing, unfortunately, of Elmhurst, who faces mm -hmm. North Central this week. I can only imagine what that score is going to look like. Nonetheless, that was crunch time for week three of the 2023 Division III college football season. JB, we got to fly through a couple things here uh, a little bit. Uh, I've noticed in your week three MVPs, uh, you want to look uh, Susquehanna strong here, and uh, yes, with good I reason. Did. Although, I, I, if I had an honorable mention, Peyton Line would get my honorable mention here for uh, that performance yeah. at the end of the game. Uh, against Wisconsin Lutheran for St. Norbert, but you went Susquehanna, can't blame me a bit. Go ahead. So, yeah, starting off on offense, Josh Ehrlich from Susquehanna, almost 400 yards of total offense, just never gave up, kept bringing his team back. It was a, a really heady performance, especially for a guy who's only a sophomore. I know he was uh, technically a, a transfer from Marist, although he didn't play there. Um, pretty impressive performance overall had to give him the offensive MVP now Colasurdo I gave the special teams award to not so much for the game-winning field goal because there were guys like you know the, the player from Lingfield who I think now kicked the longest field goal in the nation at this point of 51 yards but honestly it was Christian Colasurdo's kickoff Frank that um, I think won the game for the Riverhawks bear with me here so the there was a penalty after the touchdown that tied the game 35-35 for excessive celebration, right? So they pushed the, the kickoff to the 20. And so I think the Cortland Red Dragon returner was thinking, oh, great, I'm going to get this ball at the 30, maybe get to the 40, 50-yard line, set my team up for a game-winning field goal. Well, Colasurdo kicks that ball to the 10-yard line. Uh, just quick math here. I think that's a 70-yard kickoff, Frank. Just boomed it, and I think that's when the panic set in for the Portland returner, and that made him susceptible to the, the, the fumble, which we saw um, during crunch time, and that was really the game changer. So that's why I'm giving Colasurdo the, the um, special teams MVP from, from my side of the fence. 
Matt Burba from Whitewater, he just was a, a stout guy, you know, a defensive tackle, plugging up the middle. He didn't lead the game in tackles, but I think he had two TFL and a sack, one of the three that the uh, Warhawks sat, um, got on that day. And so just a progressive, you know, you've got to give, give some love to the linemen here and there. So I went with him and, and, the, and the Warhawks. So those were my MVPs and, and uh, certainly helped me on a, on a weekend where I needed to catch up. I, I, I got some breaks, like you said, in, in week two. You got the three games this weekend. It was my turn. But, hey, it was a really fun weekend of D3 football, and um, here we are. So one thing, I, I got to tell you, don't call a guy from Wisconsin Whitewater stout. Ah, yes. Yeah, he might take – a guy from Whitewater might take offense to that. <laughs> yeah. As uh, Wisconsin stout uh, is a thing. So j- just a reminder That's on that. That's true. Yeah, fair um, enough, fair enough, fair enough. Speaking of Whitewater, though, um, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of teams here briefly as uh, you shame me into showing my top 25 ballot for week three. Uh, and uh, here we go. Uh, we'll put it on the screen to talk <laughs> about it one by one here. Uh, first things first, obviously, North Central still number one in Mount Union, number two. Wartburg hasn't shown me any reason to drop them. Maybe a little bit of uh, lightness in the offensive totals uh, from time to time, uh, but... Overall, I'll say that I still have confidence in especially their defense, uh, the way their defense has been playing. So they remain number three. I moved Trinity above uh, Whitewater. I, so here's my philosophy, JB. Tell me if you think I'm faulty in this at all. We have pretty good understanding that in week one, Trinity was not at full strength. They were missing several players due to That's illness right. of some sort. And they end up losing in overtime to St. John's. And things could have been different if they had full strength is my view of that. So if the only reason that we're going to ding them ultimately is because of that St. John's game and they weren't at full strength, then I have the right at this point to assume that Trinity has some level here of ability. Uh, Now, the question becomes this. You know, you look at how Trinity handled UMHB. You look at how Wisconsin Whitewater handled UMHB, and I just gave a slight edge to Trinity right now uh, in that comparison. So I did move Trinity slightly above uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. That could change. I toyed with the idea of maybe moving uh, Wisconsin River Falls above uh, either one or both of them because look at how they handled UMHB ultimately compared to the other two teams. I just need to see (laughs) a little bit more body of work from River Falls before I can make that leap but to have them at number six, we've been touting them all season long as one to watch. And the poll finally ca- caught up with us, it looks like, uh, overall mm-hmm. uh, on D3Football.com. So uh, in Harden-Simmons in number seven and uh, St. John's in number eight, not really big surprises there. Although St. John's, I- I'm curious to see how they uh, handle Bethel coming up very soon yeah. here. Uh, so, okay, you see the top eight there, first third or so. Uh, what's your thoughts? Have I screwed up royally? No, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I, I feel like you, one of the things you left out with the, with the Trinity St. John situation was that BS ejection for uh, Caleb Harmel. If he stays in that game at linebacker, they win. They win as well. I think, and no matter, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, what have you. But yeah, I, I do feel like the way they're playing. Um, the way they handled um, the last couple of games, it's been an, an impressive run for the Tigers. You know, two weeks from now, they, they go to Barrie. Um, and I'm actually thinking about either driving or flying up to that one because the way um, the Vikings are, are cruising right along, they might be the number one contenders in the SAA now, to, to the last sort of big roadblock that the Trinity might have to um, finishing out the season with only one loss. So I, I think they make sense at four. I, I think the top eight, top ten looks good. Yep, uh, Carnegie Mellon and John Carroll uh, round them out. Uh, Carnegie Mellon, I'm a little bit higher than the poll. Uh, I will, we'll see what happens. Grove City uh, will have a lot to show here uh, as to whether this is right or wrong yeah, at home, 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Um, Linfield at 11, I, I've toyed with maybe dropping them a little bit, but we'll see. I, I, I'm going to wait and see on them a little bit. Randolph-Macon, funny story. 
uh, was at the Union uh, Springfield game and uh, somebody in a Springfield uh, shirt and his wife uh, come up to me and they're like, you guys on In the Huddle need to give more love to Randolph Macon. And I said, well, sir, we actually are big fans of Drew Campanelli, their quarterback. And he's like, and I'm his father. And I was like, okay. What? Well, yes. Drew Campanelli, uh, I think his brother it is, uh, plays for Springfield but did not travel with the team for this no week's kidding. game. And so they went to Union to watch the Springfield game, and then they apparently traveled down to watch Drew's game uh, the next day. And uh, very nice meeting them, uh, great folks, and uh, told them, uh, send our best to Drew. We wanted to have him on the show last year. Uh, schedules didn't allow it to yeah. happen. And so uh, someday we'll hopefully have him on the show because uh, he is a great quarterback uh, for sure. So uh, there Absolutely. you go, Randolph making it number 12. And uh, hello to uh, the Campanelli family. Uh, in Wheaton, uh, at number 13, uh, Little Brass Bell game is setting up interestingly in a couple of weeks, uh, which might be the game, if you go to Barry, maybe I go to Wheaton that weekend to watch that game, because that's huge as well. 14, I, I have an overlay going on here on uh, Muhlenberg compared to the uh, poll. I think Muhlenberg is uh, the strongest team right now in the Centennial. I think Muhlenberg can beat Johns Hopkins right now. And so I have them right now at 14 and Hopkins at 15. Uh, I, I think the rest of the country isn't very high on the Centennial, but, you know, yeah. Do you have Nate Milne on the phone? Is it the, the elite statesman, yeah, I think he's, Nate Milne? He's, saying, he's saying, shut up, Frank. I don't, his team doesn't need to hear that. They want to be the underdogs. They want to keep fighting. So, yeah, Coach Milne says to, to cut it. <laughs> Well, he's got Joe Repetti, who has been impressive uh, and has matured quite a bit uh, into the season. That's uh, for sure. Uh, I, I look forward to that game. I hope I get a chance to get to that game this year. Uh, Muhlenberg at Johns Hopkins have gotten to it the last two years, and for good reason. It was just a very, very good game on the schedule at uh, both times. Alma at number 16, they just keep winning. What else can I say? 17, Wisconsin lacrosse. Um, they played well against Harden-Simmons, so they made their way into my poll, basically, and keep rolling up. Uh, Mary Harden-Baylor at number 18, yeah. First time I've ever had an 0-3 team in my ballot. First time I've ever had an 0-3 team that's played three top 10 teams, basically, uh, in my ballot. Uh, if you really want to get down to it here. Yeah, so let, let's just keep it, again, in perspective. And I got to say, I wasn't very impressed by Whitewater's performance on Saturday overall. It was a good game in terms of it was close and all that stuff, but it was not a game that I walked away with or walked away from with an idea of really who Whitewater is offensively. I, or maybe I did. They were very one-dimensional offensively. Uh, it was run, run, run. I, I understand pound the rock. I get it. But in this day and age, it's got to have a balance to it. And I think that's why Mary Harden Baylor was able to clamp down in the second half against them because they kind of dared Sinead to throw, and he wasn't throwing much in that second half. And they got the ball back quite a bit because no, they wasn't. were able to key in on the run. Tamir uh, and company just had trouble uh, in that second half getting any kind of momentum going. So Mary Harden Baylor... Uh, you know, 0-3 but not dead. We've talked about it earlier in the show. We'll leave it there. Bethel, number 19. I, again, I want to see how St. John's and Bethel duke it out here. Susquehanna at 20. Uh, they were not a team that was in my top 25 to start the season. And uh, they've definitely worked their way up. And then we have Ithaca, Cortland State. It seems like an interesting way to have them all right next to each other right now, 2021 22. Yeah, right. But it, it kind of fits uh, inside of what's going on here. Aurora at number 23. Uh, again, they just keep winning. Del Val, don't know what's going on with Del Val. They could lose games in the MAC this season, though. We'll see. For now, I think Berrios and company still have enough experience on offense to win games. It's the defense that's concerning a lot of people, ultimately, although Berrios' numbers were pretty uh, god-awful on Saturday compared to what you'd expect. And Washington Jefferson makes their way onto my ballot officially. Uh, we had them on our combined ballot uh, before the season uh, began, yeah. but they've made their way on officially onto my ballot uh, at number 25, and so while Grove City, Carnegie Mellon is a big game, uh, Wash and Jeff uh, have games against both still to come this season, which could tell us a lot about what's going to happen in the pack, ultimately. Okay, uh, so the last uh, 17 teams or 15 teams or so, uh, what are your thoughts there? How would you shuffle? Well, I mean, you know, I think... Hmm... Well, I don't know if I would uh, I would have Muhlen, 
No, I think I, would, I wouldn't have Muhlenberg as high. Maybe Wheaton I would have bumped up. I mean, they looked really impressive against the Titans of, uh, of Oshkosh. You know, maybe I'd push them. I thought John Carroll actually looked pretty bad in the first quarter against Baldwin Wallace. I was like, this is supposed to be a top, top uh, 10, 15 team. The, the blue streaks weren't really impressive. They kind of got things going, and obviously they won by 23 points when it was all said and done. But they, they didn't look as good to me as they did in, in, in week one. I don't know if it was like the bye week rust or something. Um, I, I like the position of Hopkins based on their body of work. Same thing with Alma, you know, lacrosse. Sure, they you know they they won a, a game against a D two school. I guess that's a big deal, and you know they they're certainly still in the mix as far as the WEAC goes. I think um, Mary Harden Baylor in that sort of fifteen to twenty range makes a lot of sense. You can't ding them too much for having one of the toughest schedules we've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, you know down the road, I mean Susquehanna, Ithaca, Cortland State makes sense. Del Val, I guess can still hang in there, although, like you said, Frank, they aren't looking as impressive. They have a game this weekend coming up against Kings, who's quietly gone 3-0 and and is blowing teams out. They only lost by uh, 20 points, I think, to DelVal last season, and that was when DelVal had this multi-All-American defensive line. Could the Monarchs pull off the upset? I, we'll see. And Washington Jeff, I, I've been a big fan of them early on. I'd probably put them more in the the 21-20 range, just based on how they're taking care of business. They'll ultimately, like you said, though, have their chance to prove it in a couple weeks. Yeah, and I'm just taking a quick peek here as to, I remember uh, that little uh, debacle uh, that happened with Kings at Del Valle a couple uh, or a few years ago uh, in the locker room area and everything mm. else, and this game yeah. is at Del Valle. Yeah, was... So at noontime on uh, Saturday. So uh, I'm curious to see if uh, there's any uh, carryover with that. Uh, I, I have a feeling that Kings uh, will Hope be out not. to prove something there <laughs> uh, when it comes down to it. Yeah. Um, games I'm going to be attending, we've already announced, which is rare for us to do this early, but I felt like it was a, an appropriate move here. Although, if one of these two uh, games would like to move their start times by 15 minutes to help me uh, out here, because the travel is a little problematic... Uh, please feel free to start at either 7.15 or uh, 12.45, I think would be on the flip side of it, uh, if it's Susquehanna uh, hosting Western New England here. Uh, making sure I, I've got all my uh, notes right here. But, uh, yeah, so Susquehanna hosting Western New England 1 p.m. And uh, Grove City uh, hosting Carnegie Mellon at 7 p.m. So it's about a three-hour-plus trek across I-80 uh, to get to, uh, you know, Grove City on Saturday night. So, um, anyway, if uh, somebody wants to move a start time, feel free to let me know to help uh, <laughs> keep me safe and sound as I try to go cover your games. Uh, this is our D3 yeah. world. I, I, I did have to laugh, though, because Union has this rare night game on Friday night. Remember who was pushing for a night game back when? Yeah, the Dutchman's shoes, no less, but, I mean, a night game to help provide better coverage. Hi, Frank Rossi here. And uh, I'm walking out, and the AD is like, this was a great atmosphere and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, it was, wasn't it? And that's what I've been trying to tell you. you got to do this more often. There's no reason not to. The hockey team was there. They formed a tunnel for the uh, players after the game, you know, to high-five them and everything. And it was a great atmosphere, absolutely. But, I mean, you got to have the gumption to – you know, schedule a game like that in the month of September, especially when the weather's going to cooperate with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Even in November, if it's cold. If it's going to be cold at noon, it's going to be cold at 5, 6 o'clock. So, I mean, just keep it, uh, yeah. again, uh, in perspective. But I've talked enough. we got to get out of here. JB, your final thoughts on week three. Well, the one thing I would like to give a shout out to is I think a lot of people, when the announcement came out about the landmark um, kind of combining you know, pieces of different conferences, it was looked at as a negative thing. Three weeks into the season, all I've seen is positive. And they're actually beating the Empire 8 in a lot of their head-to-head games, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I, a lot of folks were like, well, they'll be sort of in the bottom, you know, 20, ranked 20-something 20 conference-wise. They're, they're winning a lot of these head-to-head matchups, and, and I've been real impressed with what I've seen so far. I think it's been, even though I imagine it's a headache for the coaches and the ADs trying to figure out these out-of-conference schedules, as a fan, it's great to see matchups like Utica, Lyco, and uh, Susquehanna, Cortland, and um, all of these kinds of things. Hopkins, Salisbury, 
this is good for the this is good for the sport in my opinion. Um, you know, having four at large bids though maybe not so good. But at the end of the day, we've had some really entertaining matchups. Matchups for week four are going to be harder to come by, to be honest. There won't be as many big-time games, and they'll be sort of spread out throughout the day. We'll get into that on Friday. And, um, you know, finally, uh, Peyton Lyon, man, you keep doing your thing. Shout-out to you. I, You know, all the respect. You're a gamer. Let's see if we can get him on Friday uh, in some way, shape, or form or another, maybe in our cold open. Yeah. It, it, it's the Peyton Lyon cold opens. Uh, that's what we'll turn yeah. the show into. What do you got? I, I, I would be remiss if I forgot this. I have to give a shout-out to my mom and dad. Uh, it, um, Tuesday, September 19th, assuming we can get this show out today. Frank, good luck with all the editing. Thanks. Um, Appreciate it's you. Their 53rd, <laughs> <laughs> their 53rd wedding anniversary, kind of crazy. Um, you know, they don't make them like they used to, as you could say. So sending love to mom and dad. Tomorrow's my dad's birthday. And so um, big week here in September for the Baker fam and sending love from Florida up to Connecticut. And sending love from New York over to Connecticut. Uh, your mom is one of our biggest fans of the show. I saw the emails to prove it. And so uh, we appreciate her love and support. And, uh, you know, happy anniversary, guys. Uh, it's, it's a great thing uh, seeing a marriage uh, that's so strong last so long, as they say. So on, on that note, let's leave it there. We'll see you on Friday for a week four preview. Uh, it may not have many big games to preview, but there are some games that we're going to key in on for sure and predict as this guy tries to get back to the uh, even with me. And he might. It's possible this week. We'll see how it falls out. We'll see you on Friday, folks. Thanks.